on Unsolved Mysteries. Armando Garcia, Suddenly Siblings, A Couple of Good Men, and Canadian Camper. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. I'm your other co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Uh, Crystal, you just dropped a bomb on me before we uh, started recording. You said you had something to talk about. Oh, yeah. Well, you you were uh, having some delay in your yes. recording software showing you that it was recording. And uh, it reminded me of this, I want to say, Atlantic article. <laughs> Now, if you're groaning, I, I apologize in advance, but really what it what it was, it was from the point of view of Gen Z describing that there's certain ticks that millennials have on social media. And one of the things is a millennial pause. So if you're doing a TikTok or a reel or whatever, it's that pause to make sure that whatever you're doing is actually recording because you don't trust the technology enough to actually work whereas gen z just launches right into whatever they're doing oh Um, interesting so it feels like you had a little millennial pause right before we started recording or right yeah that's uh uh i'm i'm accustomed to to that way of thinking i i for sure you know you gotta you gotta wait your stuff's not gonna instantly start doing whatever and that's just crazy. No, I mean, my phone freezes all the time. I don't trust it to work. Fuck that. <laughs> it's it's constantly fucking up. I so. I empathize entirely with you. you know? I mean, it's just uh you just you just can't trust yeah. it. Um just can't trust it. The thing it. is though, Gen Z can roast my ass all they want, but I know how to read a map. So, ooh, burn! <laughs> yeah. I know where my cardinal directions are, motherfuckers. Come for me, and you won't find me because I had a map made of paper that I used on my way to find uh, a secret hideout from Gen Z. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm talking about. I love Gen Z; they're great. Yeah, no, Mostly. they're fine. They're, they're, they're cool. fine. They're fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you cool, Gen cool. Z. You cool. And, um, uh, you know, honestly, if teenagers want to roast my ass, I would just be happy they were paying attention to me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very similar. Um, you know, like, sadly, it would make me feel like I'm kind of cool. Uh, like, I'm relevant enough to be roasted. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know... If they if they weren't roasting me, it would be because you know I'm as relevant as like uh, you know something from from the distant past that they're not uh, mm. they're totally unfamiliar with, like a VCR. Yeah, the distant past <laughs> of 1990. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That was 32 years ago. Maybe that was pretty pretty long time. ago. Yeah. Well, yeah. Think about it. Like. 32 years uh, uh, between here and 1990, uh, 1990, when we were, you know, young young peoples mm-hmm. in, in 1990, mm-hmm. that same measurement of time uh, uh, going backwards would have taken us into the Eisenhower administration. So take that yeah. for what you will. 
Anyway, other than helping to stoke uh, existential <laughs> midlife crisis, um, uh, I don't know. I'm spiraling now. <laughs> we do have season six, episode twelve of Unsolved Mysteries to talk about. This episode happened a long time it ago. Did. It's only a few years. So yeah. So what? When was this aired? 1994. And it's 2022, so it aired uh, 28 years ago. Jesus yeah? Christ. And 28 years ago from 1994 would have been, Carrie, the one that would have been 1976. 66. Damn. 1966. You know, Robbie, I, I was uh, speaking, speaking of, before we get into the episode, I do want to dick around a little bit <laughs> <Okay. more. laughs> That's fine. That's, that's well, you know, I'm th- you know thinking about uh, the passage of time and and as we were just talking about, just sort of the differences between eras. Mm-hmm. Um, I had I had a very special evening on Saturday mm-hmm. night where uh, I went to the Hollywood Bowl, which is a very large music venue, okay. music and sometimes comedy venue in LA. It's an outdoor amphitheater. If you don't know what that is, but it's huge. It seems like yeah. in- invariably any any major significant musical act will have like a a live at the Hollywood Bowl album or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Pretty pretty much. So, um, so I went Saturday night for the first time since before COVID because we had tickets to see the L.A. Philharmonic play the Back to the Future score. Along with the movie. Okay. So I hadn't seen Back to the... I've seen Back to the Future, but I hadn't seen it in a really long time. And right at the beginning of the movie, it became really clear to me that I did not remember (laughs) most of it. (laughs) Um, But there were some some interesting references in Back to the Future. And it it was really... I mean, being in a crowd of thousands of people some of which are seeing the movie for the first time there were adult there were adults my age behind me that were like i've never mm-hmm. seen this movie and there were like little kids who had it memorized okay so it was just the just the whole range of experience and people watching this movie and they're fucking yeah. loving it because it is actually a really yes. good movie so anyway <laughs> it is <laughs> popular for a reason um no it's it's great it completely held up and i and we had a great time but um, there's a couple of references that really stuck out. So there's a scene where Marty McFly goes into the soda shop back in the 1950s because he's traveling back from 1986. Mm-hmm. And um, so basically he's doing the the Unsolved Mysteries era transition back to the Eisenhower yep. administration. And uh, he uh, he goes and he orders a tab <laughs> at the diner. <laughs> In a very memorable scene, a tab, which is a, a kind of diet soda. Now, I've never even had a tab. Oh, yeah. In my life. Like, it was around when I was a child. It eventually phased out. And then there's another scene. There's a lot of product placement <laughs> in Back yeah. to the Future movies. But there was another scene where he's rep- he says, not a tab. How about a Pepsi free? And, like, the whole bowl was kind of awkwardly giggling because no one knew what the hell a Pepsi free was. Oh, <laughs> okay. I don't know. I don't know what that product is. No one like remembered it. Like, I mean, people remember Crystal Pepsi, but they do not remember what Pepsi free was. And I'm like, is that some kind of precursor to diet Pepsi? I don't know. It doesn't matter. But then 
so that was kind of like an awkward, like, huh, weird, weird. They have these products in the eighties. We don't remember. But then later on, um, when Marty has to go convince his dad to ask his mom to the dance, because his dad's too much of a wuss to like do anything. <laughs> and Marty's like trying to exist <laughs> still. So he has to set them right. up, you know, Anyway, you guys have seen Back to the Future. It doesn't matter. But um, I love love listening to you describe it, though. I'm really enjoying this. Well, I'm just setting up the scene. So there's another scene where Marty goes to visit his then teenage father and he's in like a hazmat suit and he's got kind of like a respirator, kind of like Darth Vader. And so he breaks into uh, George McFly's bedroom and is standing on top of the bed. And he's like, I'm Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan. <laughs> and that got a huge pop out of the bowl. Okay. Because these are the, oh, good. like Darth, both Darth Vader yeah. and both Star Trek planet Vulcan. So Star Wars and Star Trek mm-hmm. are still 50 years later, right? 30, 40 yeah. years later, it's still huge things in the in the, the culture. And so it was really yeah. interesting to see all these little cultural markers from a movie from 1986. Like some things were as lost on us as they were portrayed as being lost on people in 1955. But then other things like referencing Darth Vader and Planet Vulcan were still completely that, yeah. relevant you know, what is it? 36 years after the movie came out. So anyway, I just thought that was really interesting. And we're talking about like time, time and traveling intervals and looking back and what's still relevant. That's all stuff I find immensely interesting. And it's Mm -hmm. relevant for the fact that we're talking about a show that's like 30 plus years old. And that oftentimes the, the cases that they're, I've often reflected the cases on Unsolved Mysteries. I mean, they themselves are old by the point that the show's airing them. So it also has a time interval jump. And I've often often thought about, like, you know, uh, how interesting it is to, like... I I wish I could really compare notes with um, uh, me 30 years ago, like, getting his impressions of the depictions of, like the past compared to me seeing the depictions of the past now and did did it seem less remote or about you know kind of also maybe it probably seems the same amount of remote just because my mind is you know i grew up in 80s and 90s so i I, you know i i think of i think of um you know i i I still think of i I have this leftover tendency that sort of think in increments uh, of the past, like I did 20 years ago, mm-hmm. and it's like, no, no, you, you doofus, we are, we are already in the the, the 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 1999 was not just a couple of years ago. I I totally know what you mean. I was like, oh yeah, the year yeah. two, like I, like the year 2000 was like 10 years ago. Right? <laughs> It's like recent memory, right? <laughs> Wrong. Yeah, we Y two K. You know, all you, you know, everyone remembers Y two K, right? The, the yeah. machines were all going to shut down, and we were going to Mad Max it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh, uh, we, did we a, didn't have to a buy. That's a really good plug for our uh, one of our Patreon only episodes. 
Yes, if you if you if you're if you're got if you're on the five dollar tier uh, on our Patreon thing, you can listen to the uh, to our Y two K the the Robert Stack hosted Y two K special. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God, we did that. Um, we did that. What feels like ten years ago. It was probably closer to four years ago, five years ago or something. We did that. Yeah, it's ago. been it's been a number of years since we've been doing this podcast. Yeah, we did yes. that in like uh, the year two thousand four, right? <laughs> right, right. You know, precisely. Uh, Friends was still on the air. I, I, oh God, <laughs> time, 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 time. Uh, uh, before we, I mean, we and we do need to eventually jump into talking about this uh, unsolved mysteries episode where allegedly going to discuss right but uh i just wanted to ask real quick Uh um have you seen any of the footage of when uh, of eric stoltz when he was the one playing marty mcfly before he got fired no some of it is available on youtube and people have put together little like comparing things of, of him and michael j fox Apparently, there's a ton of this footage because they had almost completely finished the movie with Eric Stoltz before they decided to can him and, and wow, <laughs> and hire Michael uh, Michael J. Fox. Yeah, that I mean, that would have changed um, the course of history if they had released Back to the Future with Eric Stoltz instead of Michael J. Fox. Right, right. You see, like, can you even? Im- I can't even. Im- I don't like thinking about that. It's so clearly the movie for Michael J. Fox. <laughs> he's he's perfect. I mean, you're you're absolutely right. It would have changed the course of history. We'd we'd have like a, a older Michael yeah. J. Fox holding up a photo fo- photo that's like changing from a photo of him to a photo of Eric Stoltz with that <laughs> ominous music from the score playing and um yeah well, well and apparent and you said you don't like thinking about it apparently <laughs> apparently the producers of the movie didn't either because they uh they got like they got rid of him I, I, I guess he had a tendency to annoy uh his co-stars because he was um he mm-hmm. was going method on the on the set, so mm-hmm. everyone had to re- call, call Marty, mm-hmm. uh, and he would like he would do the scenes as if they were actually happening. Which the guy who played Biff, I he I remember I, I, I was mm-hmm. watching him recount like in in the scene in the school cafeteria, Eric Stoltz was actually like shoving mm-hmm. him full force, you know, as if to hurt mm-hmm. him. And after mm-hmm. like a couple of shots, yeah, uh, he he he, uh, he 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 approached Eric Stoltz, and he's like, um, "Hey, Eric!" And <laughs> you want to guess what Eric Stoltz's reaction was? Eric, who's uh-huh. Eric? <sighs> Marty. Uh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, could you could you not here. shove so hard, please? <laughs> Because it actually kind of hurts when you're doing this. Yeah. And yeah. Well, Tom Wilson is the actor who mm-hmm. played Biff. And relatedly, I used to work for his nephew. What? <laughs> yeah. Well, is this a is this a, a, a reenacted exclusive that I'm dropping right I here? I guess so. Well, it's, it's a- yeah. No, I uh, he, his nephew is the same age as I am, but he was sort of my boss in a, a job I had before. We were friends too, and. Um, like I went to this guy's wedding, and yeah, his uncle's Tom Wilson. Jesus Christ! 
He played Biff. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when I went to, uh, you know, uh, my coworker slash boss's wedding, we were all very excited <laughs> because we thought Biff might be there. I know. I would have been excited at that prospect. It was, we were buzzing about it, but uh, Uncle Tom couldn't make it because he had recently, uh, like, had some surgery, uh, so he wasn't able to travel up from Southern California. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. so uh, didn't, didn't get to meet Biff IRL. So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? But we can get we can uh, we can return to it's back to Tom the future later. Let's talk about unsolved mysteries, season six. Oh, good. We fl- we fluffed this uh, boring ass episode up enough, didn't we? <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Did I mention I, I like recently listened to a podcast and it took them a full hour to get to the movie they're re- reviewing? We're, no, we're, we're fine. It, no, that's too much. Yeah. Anyway. Our our first segment takes us to Miami in the early 80s, and we get some file footage of uh, Cuban re- uh, refugees um, arriving uh, via boat to the United States. Um, it's interesting because uh, all this file footage actually has a subtitle that says file footage on it. I don't remember that nece- being a necessity in the past. Uh-huh. Um yeah. But yeah, like uh, if um, in the early 80s, Ca- uh, Castro allowed for a brief window of time for people to just leave Cuba if they could like somehow get yeah. their hands on a boat. Um, yeah, he was like capitalist the fuck out. Yeah. If you're not ready for this, yeah, what we're doing, right. fuck out of here. Right. And then he, he also uses an opportunity to empty out his the prisons in Cuba, too. And they, they mentioned that like of like. The, yeah, they do. Yeah, like 30,000 or so uh, uh, inmates were, were released. So if, if you want to see a, a documentary on it, there's there's a great one called called Scarface. Um, uh, uh-huh. Yeah. I was just thinking about Scarface, that <laughs> true and factual accounting of a Cuban immigrant to the United States. Say hello to my little friend! There were... Um, riots in the uh in 1980 in miami um did you know about this before this segment no i did not i didn't either yeah apparently it was the most sig- i didn't know anything about this it was the no- most significant riot to take uh, rioting to take place in the united states prior to the the 90 the Rod- rodney king uh, verdict yeah, Los Angeles right? Until LA said, "Hey, Miami, hold my beer." Here we go. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, and so uh, and it's interesting the way unsolved mysteries um, uh, presents this uh, with the context of the uh, the refugees coming. I'm because it kind of seems like they're suggesting because there was a massive expansion of the uh, uh, Miami police force. And they talked about how uh, uh, the sheer size of this allowed in a, a lot of unsavory characters, and that the mm-hmm. subjects of our um, of this segment are uh, they were Cuban, right, of origin. Um, like it seemed like they certainly have 
Cuban type last names. Yeah, I don't. I, I had the impression that unsolved mysteries, like the sort of thread they were connecting with the start, with mentioning the 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 refugee thing, was like that, like uh-huh. um, sort of implying that the the prisoner, the 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 inmates from. Um, from Fidel Castro's prisons, then subsequently became the Miami police force. <laughs> um, but yeah, like this. I mean, there's this. I mean, this is incredible information that they jammed into a very short segment because I, I mean, I just I'm left with so many questions. Also, what an incredible story! Right, right, right. Yeah, like. This like like crime crime went up in Miami because all these immigrants moved in. I guess is what I'm not I'm not saying that that's what Unsolved Mysteries is saying here, and then therefore they increased the police force. But it seems like the police force then <laughs> increased incorporated the <laughs> some of these criminals into their ranks, right? Uh, because well, which unsolved mysteries un- or Robert Stack says they sl- a few slip through the cracks, which I thought was very cheeky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it like it very much like because we get reenactments because uh, of situations where they're, I guess these these guys that were on the uh, the force, they 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 hit upon their racket, which was to shake down low level criminals for all their money. So they're basically going out and mm-hmm. robbing people and they just figured, yeah. you know, if they robbed criminals, um, uh, the, the, the low level, like guys on, on the totem pole, no one's really going to, uh, to, to notice or care or object apparently. Yeah. Um, and there's some, there's some line and I think it's the departed, um, you know, basically saying if someone's holding a gun to you, what does it matter or not or not if they have a badge on, you know? When I was your age, they would say we could become cops or criminals. Today, what I'm saying is this. When you're facing a loaded gun, what's the difference? We should do a departed episode. <laughs> we should. Uh, I mean, I love that we're going to run out of unsolved mysteries episodes eventually, so we'll have to like start <laughs> recording other things. And I haven't been able to find like a place where all the rescue nine one one segments are are. Um, yeah, was that the Shatner show? What was the Shatner? Th- that's show? the Shatner show. That sightings? Yeah. Oh, it was okay. It was rescue nine one one. What was the Freaks show then? I don't remember. Uh, was Beyond Belief? I think we should do Beyond Belief. Well, yeah, yeah. Sorry, this is a side conversation. Okay, yes. This well, is business development. Well, it's, it's pod related. I mean, granted, it's a more of a behind the scenes, scenes pod related conversation. Yeah. I, yeah, I, people are getting a look behind the curtain here. I thi- I, well, I think, like, I would assume there's somewhere where you, you all the Beyond Belief episodes are available they probably had a commercial release right do you have a pet do you have a sweet tooth do you believe in the power of a curse have you had your hearing tested lately planning a trip soon can you remember the tallest man you've ever seen do you love to go a wandering beneath a clear blue sky well i mean alternatively also i was recently gifted the complete set of sliders (laughs) (laughs) so we really need some material How many Sliders podcasts do you think there are? There can't be more than like two or three, right? 
Well, it's because the show is fucking unwatchable. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. That's 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 that would be the key to our to the exclusivity of of the podcast uh, pod. I mean, yes, granted. I mean, I'm not counting all the alternate universes. Sliders podcast. <laughs> Hey, maybe we could slide to a, a, an alternate universe where there is no Sliders podcast and we'll be the first ones to do it. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about here. No, I, Robbie, I just I just realized I should have stretched before this episode so I could keep up with your comedy because I am not... You're like leap, leaping and running around me and I'm just like... In awe over here. Oh, it, I mean, I guess the normal thing to do would be to laugh. <laughs> that that's fine. I I when you're being funny, I, you know, your words of affirmation. <laughs> of being like, your, oh, good sh- good show, chap. <laughs> your words of affirmation are just as good as laughter to me. Thank thank you, Crystal. Um, I I have yeah. This is one of my uh, fatal my fatal flaws is when I think something is very funny, I won't laugh at it. I'll be like, that's really funny. <laughs> Well, yeah. You know? Yeah, 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 no. It's not as good as laughter. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. That's very good. Yeah. It's 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 all good. All right. Well, where were we talking about a triple homicide, Miami? I don't. Oh know yeah, uh, you know, be, uh, corruption on the force. Uh, we have an interview, a brief yeah, yeah, yeah. little interview with an FBI agent, special agent named Robert Martin. Um, and I gotta say, like, looking at this guy's face, there's. I don't believe it's possible for him to have any other name but Robert Martin. Um, uh-huh. He's, he's, he's got a very Robert Martin-y face. But him and other uh, people like a sergeant on the, the Miami police force, they're interviewed and talking about how this, like, group, uh, you know, they, they operated as a um, sort of their own entity. And as, as long as they kept their mouths shut for each other, um, no one would, would – they figured no one would find out. And – Apparently, they progressed beyond, like, just shaking down low-level criminals for their money and drugs. And they began, like, launching full-scale, like, operations that 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 apparent that no one else was was privy to. And they have a, this neat little scene where, like, and was it, like, 400 pounds of some sort of drugs are being offloaded at the docks. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, um, the car, you know, the cars arrive, sirens blazing, you know, there's, there's a, uh, big sort of shootout type, uh, situation. Uh, you know, it, it's, 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 it's like the movie, the Miami connection, but not, not actually anything like it anyway. Um, you know the it the they they have make this strange reference to because several of the people involved with unloading the drugs like they jumped in the river and drowned or, or uh, off into the mm. ocean and drowned um mm-hmm. i i guess i guess the implication like either i don't know if they were shot and subsequently drowned or there's just like a lot of guy, poor swimmers, uh, people without swimming ability or whatever. But then the uh, this this gro- corrupt organ uh, group uh, just sees like hundreds of pounds of drugs uh, that you know are not going to be 
<laughs> turned in, but rather uh, be put to other use. We get uh, a cut to a reenactment of uh, this, uh, I guess, a detective for the Miami police, and he's interviewing a security guard who's talking about like, yeah, you know, so the the, the they're unloading the drugs. And then, like, uh, the, the police showed up. And da 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 And, the, like, this is, like, news to the detective. Like, what? <laughs> um, and so, you know, like, we get uh, a reenactment of uh, some of the ringleaders of this group being in jail. Uh, they actually, they were not convicted on uh, any of the crimes uh, they were doing. But they had been planning on executing the, I can't remember who it was. Was it the district attorney or someone or a witness or or something? So if they had just counted on the the system not bringing about justice, they probably could have just gotten away (laughs) with it all. But instead, they they opened themselves up for a a subsequent... um, uh, attempt at uh, justice. Uh, they were, you know, we get a, the last little reenactment is one of the, uh, I think it's Armando Garcia walking out the um, uh, the the prison with uh, his girlfriend waiting for him. But uh, and unsolved mysteries it kind of just jumps right into an, the update. These guys were all subsequently caught and they spent years in prison, uh, ranging from ten to twenty five years pr- between the three of them. Um, so there you have it. I want to add the reason we get probably the reason we get the white text update only Mm -hmm. instead of like a courtroom or arrest scene is because it was actually America's most wanted that produced the tip. Oh, really? How delicious. Oh boy. (laughs) Yep. Uh, yeah, you, you can always count if, um, if uh, America's Most Wanted got the got the basket that Unsolved Mysteries is just going to give the most perfunctory update possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, our next segment is a lost love segment, and it's actually kind of interesting. Hey there. Have you ever watched a movie or TV show you're certain no one else enjoys? Is there a movie franchise that despite some lackluster elements, you must consume it in its entirety. Are you tired of folks taking silly media just a little too seriously with their negative reviews? Then you've found the right podcast. Welcome to Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure, available wherever you get your podcasts. That's Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure, part of the Bridgeburner Podcast Collective. Yeah, so this the segment opens with a really terrible car wreck. Um, I guess it was outside of Flint, Michigan, and a young woman. So this is back in 1964. A young woman is uh, instantly killed in the car wreck. And what's interesting is that um, Unsolved Mysteries actually did this reenactment because the car wreck itself didn't actually set 
I was very confused by this, but the car wreck itself and this young woman, Faith Marie, or Faith Marie Brown, um, her passing away isn't actually what sets up the chain of events that gets further discussed. So it's it's sort of incidental that she passed away. Yeah, and this is bit- this is what got me really confused because, um, so she was 26 at the time. And unso- and Robert Stack tells us that she has left behind seven children. Yes. And uh, real quickly on that reenactment of the car crash, because they the narration says she was out with two friends, um, one of whom mm-hmm. seems like age contemporary to her. But the guy driving mm-hmm. is like seems a few decades older. Um, yeah. And he's he's wearing one of those uh like cloth hats and and he's got a brown jacket. And I swear to god, Crystal. Mm-hmm. Um looking at the way this guy was dressed. This is mm. exactly how my dad <laughs> dressed back. <laughs> back. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean like he even kind of vaguely looks like him. Uh, the the reenactor, it's it's kind of weird. Uh, I just wanted to mention that before we proceed on with the rest of the segment. That's creepy. Yeah. So, Faith Brown left behind seven children, all under the age of ten, and uh, so you guys can do the math on that. Anyway, basically, what happened was Faith. Uh, left high school to get married to a young man and uh, started busting out kids. Two of those kids were twins, though. Uh And the young man ultimately ends up petitioning for divorce and custody because he doesn't believe those two, uh, the twins are his, and they're not, actually, (laughs) it turns out. Yeah. Um, And Faith, uh, Faith had... So she gets divorced and then there's without much explanation, there's another scene where Faith is with this much older man. So the father of her twins was this guy who was 25 years her senior, but Faith couldn't have been more than like 18 at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Gross. Anyway, then she has a bunch more kids. I don't know who's the dad of whatever but basically there's a lot going on there the, we don't need that <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot happening none of it's good uh so that brings us to the present day in april uh chris chris one of one of faith's daughters um she she ends up getting a rheumatoid arthritis uh diagnosis so that that you know prompts her to start looking in because she knows she she knew she was adopted and uh she starts to look for her birth mother and mm-hmm. her family and so she starts going through all these court documents what she's able to find out is uh, where she was born and her original last name and her so her birth name was Michelle Brown mm-hmm. and her birth date was 1961 um, when she was at the records office she noticed she has a brother named Michael uh, she couldn't look at any other adoption records for any of her other siblings um, so then she petitions the court yada 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 so she finds out basically how many siblings she has. Right. I, I, but that's I, it. I love how she got the bit of information she got because she, as she described it, I sort of looked down when the woman had the ledger open. 
<laughs> and then when she tried mm-hmm. to like ask, like, "Well, can you tell me anything else?" The woman like closed the like promptly closed the ledger. Was like, "I'm sorry, I can't give you that information." It was like you just had the thing opened in front of her, and she was looking down at it, like. <laughs> Right, exactly. Why, why pretend to be like you're <laughs> that, that that you're being careful with this info when you when you're so careless? Anyway, that's at least that's how the well, reenactment portrays it. Things get a little more interesting yeah. from here because we, then we start talking to a man named Mike Galloway, mm-hmm. who's a friend of April's. And they start and unsolved mysteries interviews him, and. Uh, you know, he too had been adopted. He knew that about himself. And so as April's doing her investigation, Mike, you know, as a friend gets very curious, you know, he's, he's also adopted and it, you know, they have that in common. Naturally he wants to know what, you know, how successful April's been in finding out information. So April starts sharing what she's learned with Mike and, um, Mike knew what his, last name at birth was and it had also been brown and so as mike says well i didn't think much about it brown smith jones whatever they're all very common names it doesn't matter to me yeah um but the information that april was able to gather is that it shows that one of abel's brothers was born in owasso in 1960 and then mike was <laughs> like well that's where I, that's where i was born <laughs> and they're like well that's a weird co- that's a weird coincidence yeah and um but then mike went home and thought about it a little bit and so he ends up relaying to april that his adoptive parents had known that one of his sisters was named michelle and of course michelle brown was april's name at birth and so they realized at that point that they had to be related and then there's a very awkward interview with mike where he was like well, it was a really good thing that April and I didn't meet first because then I couldn't end up marrying my sister. <laughs> and I'm like, what would we tell our kids? <laughs> yeah, I have to say, I mean, like, even before he said it, like, that was a thought that was in my head. Like, we're, we're, we're the, yeah. 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 Well, can I can I now I have to I have to remove all the names, towns and details okay. about this, but I got to relay some shit. Okay. Gotcha. Because, you know, <clears throat> not not only is all this happening right with the adoption records. Um a lot of people have been finding out some crazy shit through like 23 and me and all these DNA testing sites, right? Mhm. So I have I know somebody who had through this exercise of doing the DNA test found out not only was her grandfather not her grandfather that her aunt and some other people in her family had some half siblings they all grew up in the same small town and then her aunt ended up for a time in high school ended up unknowingly dating her half brother oh wow Hmm. that's true that's real life yeah that's real life that's not unsolved mysteries that's real life that is a true story and um you know so when you think about it if you grow up in a small town if you're adopted or even if you're not i mean this is this is the craziest stuff too like my father had a half sister 
that went to his high school that he didn't even know about. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, well, you know, things happen all the time, like twin boys. This is, I mean, this is everywhere. Yeah, twins get separated. Like, one grows up on a farm Mm -hmm. somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. The other one grows up as part of the royal house of Alderaan. Uh, you know, yeah. they yeah. they meet. Who would have ever thought that they would meet? You know, it's just it's, yeah. And who and you know, there was some light attraction at first. Yeah, yeah. In that situation, but ultimately they realized they, you know, right. <laughs> much much as not, much as Mich- uh, to be. much as Michelle and and, and Mike, <laughs> thankfully, yeah, realized. Um, yeah. Yeah, this yeah. <laughs> so I'm just I'm just want to introduce the idea this completely unsavory idea into anybody's head that if you grew up in a small town, you may you might have dated your sibling that you didn't know about. Uh, <laughs> uh so And the, well and the only way to be truly safe from this is to never date anyone from your town. I um I had to resist the urge to to say something that I, I didn't want to insult any small town listeners we had. Well, Robbie, don't you think that would be the pot calling the kettle black a little bit? Oh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> the only way to be really safe is to leave your town. Right. Yeah. And then start dating people. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, all right. So this is clearly not a coincidence. They are related. And they start finding out about other information about their mother faith and then what else had happened and et cetera, whatever. Okay. So uh, I guess all of the social services took Faith's baby away um, until the last one. So Dennis is the dude's name, the older molester dad guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he and Faith had another daughter, Shannon, but then Faith died. And then so Dennis put Shannon up for adoption. So basically the thing is this, before Faith even died, the, a lot of these kids were getting shuffled into the foster care and adoption system. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, you know, we think our lucky stars every day that birth control is widely available mm-hmm. in this day and age. Um, this horrible story also made me like double down on my uh, pro-choice proclivities <laughs> that I have, um, because clearly Faith didn't have a lot of choice no. in her life, no. and then she died. So cool. I feel like they are a little judgmental when they're talking about her too, right? Like, you know. Yeah, she was out partying and blah, you know, she was on this joy ride and she couldn't take care of her kids. I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. She started having children when she was a baby herself. And I understand in the 60s, maybe that wasn't like as shocking yeah. as it is now. But it's also like she had seven kids before she was 26. Right. It's like a kid a year. So uh, there's an update, though. So, so, uh, April and Mike are looking for the rest of their siblings. Mm-hmm. And so the update, of course, all of the siblings were watching Unsolved Mysteries that night. 
And I don't know what sort of vetting they went through before Unsolved Mysteries shows back up to do the big reunion, but everyone was able to meet. And, um, you know, it's all it's all good. They they were reunited. I got really excited so. in, in the, the reenactment, uh, not the reenactment, the actual um, the, the reunion. Uh, when the twins come in mm-hmm. and they're kind of dressed eccentrically, uh, one of them's wearing a blue hat and it has a uh, had FOE on it for Fraternal Order of Eagles. And they got really excited. It's like, oh, another Fraternal Order of Eagles oh. reference. And then I I paused. I was like, oh no, wait, it's the Elks that we were <laughs> that we were trying to yeah. that we were that was the running gag. But yeah, I uh, you know this this. Uh, this lost love segment wasn't bad held my interest um did you notice when they had the reenactment of the social worker taking away the two kids and she puts them in the car mm-hmm. she doesn't put a seatbelt on them she just dumps both t- <laughs> both kids in the front <laughs> front seat yeah yeah it was the 60s well yeah man. i guess that's a good point i mean no one was using seatbelts right <laughs> right yeah. okay um that's how their mom died <laughs> Oh shit! You're right. <laughs> so, oh god damn. Uh, yeah. Well, there's a note here in the wiki um, that I actually think is kind of sweet. It says that the reunion was one of the largest hosted by Unsolved Mysteries, with 33 family members present. Wow. Yeah, I guess because yeah. you know they each have their Not own that's... like respective families. Because yeah, this was like this was like seven yeah. siblings, and a lot of them had like di- totally different you know. Uh, kids. Yeah. yeah, well, then they, you know, they're all old enough to be married and have children of their own. and Precisely. Our next segment uh, is, again, a sort of corruption uh, um, in the institution segment, only it's uh, military related rather than the police force. We get a opening. Oh, wait, hold on. Oh. Can I can I jump in real quick? Yeah, go ahead. I just want to I want to throw a trigger warning in for oh. anyone who might be listening yeah. is that this segment deals pretty extensively with suicide. So if you're not feeling it, you don't want to listen to it, maybe skip ahead like 5 to 7 minutes and we'll be done talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, please continue. Okay. So it starts out with a uh footage of a military graveyard and uh, uh they have a sort of a image of a front page of a newspaper depicting multiple uh, veteran suicides. Um, and, you know, Robert Stack comes in, they got him narrating uh, in some sort of graveyard. I don't think they took him to Arlington or anything, but this particular segment concerns two individuals, uh, Billy Ray Hargrove and Michael Carmichael. No, not Michael Carmichael. Uh, yes. Mike, Car- yes. Oh, oh shit! You're right. He has. He's Michael Carmichael. Oh my god! I I was looking down That's at correct. my notes. I was like, that can't be. <laughs> no, it's correct. Okay. Uh, I'm not. Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, Billy uh, Billy Ray, um, uh, Hargrove. He was part of a unit that got sent to participate in desert storm and we get some stock footage of desert storm um looks really cool you know abrams tanks driving around and helicopters flying overhead um but apparently his unit actually didn't right arrive in time to participate so like they have this 
It's kind of weird that they set this up as if this is the the reason that he may potentially have been murdered rather than committed suicide. Uh, Because they don't Mm -hmm. give any other sort of um, explanations. But they show him, like, you know, he's a sergeant. He goes in and he, like, tries to submit that, like, the men in his unit receive the commendation medal for Desert Storm. You know, their, their CO is just like, well, I'm sorry, Billy, but no, you guys weren't actually part of the fighting. <laughs> I, I don't know what to, to tell you. And so after uh, Billy walks out of the office in the reenactment, we learn that he falsified paperwork so that the men in this unit, and I guess that would maybe include himself, would receive the commendation. Uh, that seems... Perhaps well-meaning, but uh, not a good idea. Anyway, uh, he returned. Billy he gets a new assignment in Korea, and we have sort of him reuniting at the uh, in, uh, airport with his uh, wife, who's Korean. Um, now, Crystal, this to me looks like some sort of local municipal airport, maybe. Or, or I don't know, like a larger. I mean, this is not the sole airport, mm-hmm. right? They just they they found some airport in L.A. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. They found some airport in L.A. Got a sign that said "Welcome to Seoul" and and put it up on yeah. the wall and and found a, a cur- and you can see the you can see the four hundred five in the background, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kidding, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely they definitely did not go to Korea for this. Right. Um. Interestingly, um, neither did the show MASH, also filmed in Southern California, but supposed to be Korea. Right? Uh, Who knew? uh, All those years I watched MASH, I was like, gosh, Korea looks a lot like Southern California or or Nevada. (laughs) Not quite so much. It does. (laughs) Oh, but... um, Yeah, so Billy immediately gets arrested at the airport. Um, and like in the reenactment, the person in charge of the arresting tells, uh, one of the MPs named Willis, who's at least a foot taller than everyone else present to, to remove the desert storm commendation <laughs> and it gets stripped off immediately. And I don't know whether this is, wow. uh, was for dramatic effect or if maybe that's an actual procedural thing, like before they take the guy in, uh, for, uh, booking, they're going to remove anything off his uniform that is false, whether it be rank insignia or his um, or his ribbons. Uh, I don't know. That I just found that fascinating. Uh, then we get like an image of Billy. Um, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on this. It looks like him, like a publicity photo for him. Right, because he's wearing combat yeah. uniform yeah. with, uh, uh, I, I'm assuming an M16, and there's a background of actual, well, maybe not combat, but tra- maybe uh, combat training uh, simulation mm-hmm. uh, that like is like it looks like a background picture, like he showed up to a fo- photo studio or something. It was very, very strange picture. I, uh, I'm assuming this is something. Well, maybe maybe Life Touch came to the base that day. <laughs> you know, for their school photos. <laughs> perhaps. perhaps. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, I um, uh, that's a deep cut. If uh, if you've uh, listened to this podcast long enough, um, <laughs> but yeah, so <clears throat> we have this. It's strange. They talk in the segment about they have this reenactment of Billy talking with um, Michael Carmichael. Uh, about like, yeah, you know, they're going to demote, probably demote me a, like a rank, but I think I'm going to re-enlist. And I guess, I guess the, the notion of this was to suggest that like he was not in a uh, mental state to want to be committing suicide. Then they have a reenactment of like, I guess Mike, uh, not, not, not Mike, Billy Ray was late for assembly. So this mm. uh, an- another sergeant comes dr- driving up and knocks on the d- his door. Is like Billy, you're re- you're late, and and Billy comes out. Uh, this was a very interesting costuming choice by Unsolved Mysteries. He comes out wearing a white shirt and he's got blue overalls on, with one strap hooked mm. up and the other undone. <laughs> and I don't know if this was to like suggest like you know. Uh, to suggest that he was not um, prepped that day, you know, kind of was just sort of, uh, you know, lay, lay, laying about, like you know, you're you're being casual or just you know, have just woken up, and as soon as he's informed, like you're late for the thing, he immediately brings the over other strap over and hooks it up, <laughs> as if that that suddenly made him more military presentable, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but then. They mentioned that, like, I don't know, I guess, like, instead of going to the assembly, he took his dog out walking. And they have a reenactment Mm -hmm. of his wife coming out. And she, like, looks at this cord that's hanging by the the post of the the building. And then she looks over and her husband, the cord's attached to uh, her husband who's hang who who has appeared to have hung himself. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the dog is is tied up on the banis- uh, by the banister. Yeah, the dog is yeah, fine. The dog just, just wanted to make clear make that clear. And then there was just there was this note that like a very strangely lit- written note about uh, a suicide note. Um, and so you know some people uh, like I mean Billy's family and Michael Carmichael are a bit suspicious that this was not a suicide. Um, mm-hmm. that this this was some sort of uh, that foul play was involved uh, yeah you know I don't know if it's because I'm PMSing <laughs> or because this segment sucks but I've kind of had it with Unsolved Mysteries We I just feel like we've done so many and in season 6 alone maybe I'm over exaggerating with the it wasn't suicide it was murder <laughs> with the reason being a hundred percent all of the time by the family. Oh, that person isn't the type of person to commit suicide. Which is something that gets said by several family members interviewed in this segment. Uh, yeah. I, I, and, and the, and the part I yeah, that I want to say about this that I'm sure I've emphasized before is that you don't know what the type of person to commit suicide mm-hmm. is. And it is most often, shocking and surprising when someone does yeah because it is very often a person who is gregarious easy to be around Mm -hmm. and you don't there's someone who's not going to show how they're hurting and so 
I'm kind of sick of these. I'm like, <laughs> I got pretty fired up. I'm like kind of sick of these segments where it's like, oh, the the army must have, they must have been having secrets and they they couldn't have killed themselves because they were murdered. And, you know, the method of these two men and their deaths was both by parachute cord. Yep. Which is not ideal because it is very elastic. So if you're going to... um hang yourself this is not the ideal material but if you are in the army it is probably a material uh that you can get a hold of fairly easily you know at the surplus store whatever you know Mm -hmm. um so i mean i'll let i'll let you continue i just wanted to jump in here before we got past our five to seven minute (sighs) warning wave people it's just like yeah yeah that's that's why suicide is shocking and terrible and leaves a giant hole in the lives around the people that love these people is because it is never expected. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I would say that all of my sort of experiences, uh, with, uh, the sort of subject matter is I, I literally never see it coming. I've never seen it coming ever in every single case. Yeah. 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 And it's, and it's awful. Yeah. It's fucking awful because it's like when, when someone you love or care about dies of cancer, you can say, Oh, okay, well, they died of cancer. Yeah, but when someone dies of suicide, I, I mean, at least, at least, what's his name? Uh, Billy Billy Ray left a note. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you you who are left behind will never have a satisfactory answer of why that person died. Yeah, no, it's not. Oh, they died of cancer. Oh, they were hit by a car. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what makes it so tragic and terrible every single time it happens. So I don't mean to be a dark cloud on this podcast, but I'm kind of tired of these segments, which are like, well, maybe there was a grand conspiracy. It's like, no, maybe these men were not getting the help that they needed. They didn't know to had, how to ask for it. And it ate them up inside and they were hurting. And this is the conclusion of that, you know? No, And I think you make a good point because the, the thing about this is... Um you know, because they unsolved mysteries doesn't give forth even a conjectural explanation as to why no. he may have been murdered. No, there's no alternative. Yeah, there's no there's no like what high level secrets. I mean, we've gotten that before in these types of segments. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, the you know this that and the other thing he was involved in this and yeah, B- B- Billy and whatever. Billy and, and and Michael were not did not have a, were were not involved with the Inslaw software or something. There's there's, there's like there's, <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah, yeah. like like because the like, octopus it, that was that episode yeah, <laughs> yeah right precisely the, yeah. The, the, you know the octopus the octopus does not have in, an infinite number of tentacles and it doesn't mess with people yeah. who like i guess like it was so strange because again unsolved mystery because they bring up that that metal falsifying thing and i just feel like mm-hmm. i mean are they is unsolved mystery suggesting that's you know he may have been murdered because of that. Like, really? Like, yeah. what would the army's motive be? Because they're, they're like their reaction to, to him falsifying documents so that the men in his unit would get a medal would not be to to murder se- secretly murder the sergeant. It would be to to um, to uh, perform a court martial, which is what they were doing, which may have actually yeah. been probably the thing in billy's life that was maybe i mean this is speculate but you know, may have been prompting him to feel 
be experiencing um, uh, these kind of feelings uh, where he may. Yeah. And I, I don't know, like to me, like it, it, it feels more like when he met, like if anything, like when he missed the, the assembly call and the other sergeant came over and told, told him that like the basis commander was really upset. Um, that, you know, that I kind of feel like that may have been like the, the moment where like, cause instead of immediately dressing in his uniform, making it to, to the assembly and getting dressed down real hard on, on that and gain whatever sort of punishment mm-hmm. he was going to get, he instead, instead of immediately going there and just being late, he instead takes his dog for a walk. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of feel like, maybe his mindset was like, well, if my career wasn't over already, it is now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, if, I mean, if the threshold for unsolved mysteries to treat these types of cases as an unsolved mystery is the family or loved one saying, well, he didn't seem like the type. There's no way he would have done this. Then every single suicide meets the threshold for an yeah. unsolved mystery segment. Do you see what I'm saying? Like it's No, it's a it's a it, valid it, point. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's kind of shitty that there's just sort of these loose insinuations that the show is making by mm-hmm. airing these things that this was foul play or a murder, or there's some grand conspiracy here. I don't think it helps the family heal. I don't think it's helpful. Yeah. Like it sucks. Anyway, I, so I don't know. Maybe it's just the PMS talking. Whatever. I just got. I was just getting increasingly pissed off <laughs> during this segment. <laughs> I know. I think. Um, I, th- I think. No. I think it's fair. It kind of. And and you're you're. I don't think you're imagining it. It does feel like, particularly this season, has been really heavy on this. Like, uh, yeah. To, it to really the point has. Where, yeah. Where it and you know of of these suicide uh, side segments where. The, the, like unsolved mysteries is just unquestionably accepting stuff. It feels a lot like how they treated yeah. UFOs in season one. Uh, yeah. yeah, but I would rather have a UFO segment in place of every single one of these. Oh, absolutely! I I would too. Why is there no UFOs in this segment? I thought. Yeah, thought- I mean, if if our other option is to have an author plug their book via unsolved mysteries, I'll take it. Right, right. Versus right. this, which I think is pretty actively harmful, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, so. no, absolutely. Um, it's kind of, uh, I, I think we've, we've kind of said what we needed to say on the, the, the storyline itself, uh, but it's kind yeah. of interesting that they, uh, this Unsolved Mysteries got, um, had uh, Representative Jay Dickey of Arkansas on. <laughs> On, mm-hmm. the, on the program but it was also kind of interesting because mm-hmm. like at first it made it seem like he wasn't going to be on because they spoke with an intern first and this kid yeah looks like a kid and yeah he interviews like a kid like you would expect a you know yeah. college you know a sophomore year in college intern who was like, you know, had a murder case dumped on his desk and he kind of just was like, well, you know, I read, I, I, I looked through, the, I looked through the folder and I was looking at the, the, you know, all, all the stuff in it. And, you know, I kind of feel, you know, I think like, yeah, you know, there's something, something here. It's like, why, why? And, 
Yeah, at first I thought, but then, then it's strange because then they actually have uh, Representative Dickey on. Um, uh, he, um, you know, he, he sort of gives his perspective on on the matter. Um, then, uh, you know, the update is, you know, there was a congressional hearing. Um, the families are not satisfied with the, the congressional hearing. Uh, so there's that. And of course there's, no, there's no update because. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Cause there, I mean, there's no mystery. There's no mystery. There you go. We just had a, we basically had a dateline segment about. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah. So a very special episode of unsolved mysteries. mysteries. Right? Yeah. I feel like we should, we should drop a hotline at the end of this episode or whatever, but we, we kind of have to at this with this season of the show. Yeah, Jeez. I uh, Jesus, I know. Um, you, but we got. I mean, s- I could go really, really dark and heartfelt and be like, you know, if you're thinking about doing something, don't. Yeah. And uh, who, whoever's listening, listen. The the planet's better with you on it. So it is. I know that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, Crystal, you want to take us to Canada? (laughs) I want to go to Canada. Get me out of this fucking depressing shit. Let's go talk about some Canadian. Now, now it opens up with Robert Stack by. Yeah. uh, Did you notice the red um, postal box that said Canada Post on it? I didn't. No, I don't notice these things. (laughs) Okay. Um. I don't. Well, I wonder where they found that. <laughs> Which is the the reasonable reaction to have, not wondering whether Robert Stack was flown up to Canada just to shoot this excess, this, this supplemental yeah. material. Stack yeah. doesn't. Stack doesn't leave the state. He can't legally do that. No. Uh, um. Anyway. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah, if it's the Royal Canadian Post, right, they got that red box, and we got blue boxes. Mm-hmm. And that's another way that Canada is different from the United States. How about that? We love our Canadian listeners. We love, uh, we love, we can't love Canadians, or Canada, as the gal in this segment introduces <laughs> us to this country. Yes. Um, so... Charles Horvath, um, he lived in England, but he was born in Canada. I don't run that really clear on this, but his mom is definitely English. She's got that accent. So she got that accent. I thought she was Irish at first. You know, I guess she's English. Who could say? Charles has a very complicated citizenship situation, I guess. But then... Canada is part of the Commonwealth, so maybe there's a lot of free exchange of Canadians and English and whatever. I don't know. I don't know how that all works. Canada must have a lot of accent churn going on and whatnot, being mm-hmm. being associated with the UK, but also being right next door to the US. You know, we there's, there's a lot of stuff getting through. There's a lot of uh, stuff getting chucked into the stew, so to speak. Yeah, the big tasty Canadian stew. So in 1989, um, Charles, who had been hitchhiking, kind of living rough across uh, most of Canada, he sent his mom uh, a letter um, by fax 
uh, from Kelowna, British Columbia. Now, Kelowna, British Columbia, if everyone recalls, uh, is also the home of um, the lake monster. <gasps> oh, from yes. Ago. Yes. Uh, but I don't remember the name. So extra points to listeners who can remember the lake monster and Kelowna, British Com- Columbia and want, want to contact us with that. Um, anyway, that was just a fun coincidence. So Charles, uh, he faxes his mom a letter. He says, okay, this is where I'm at. And he's going to meet up with his stepfather. Uh, it's all good. Um, so uh, Charles doesn't get back to his mom to finalize arrangements for like getting home and all that. Um, a couple months later, Denise's mother uh, a, a reports him missing, 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 <laughs> missing to the Royal Canadian. Mo- fuck. <laughs> I started drinking vodka at the beginning of this episode and it is just railroading me right now. <laughs> <laughs> just 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 set just set that bottle back down on your table and continue on with the segment. On my table, RCMP, Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Um, she so then Denise is like looking over the world. She's like in China looking in a bowl of rice for him. You know, she's she's, she's looking for her son. Are you doing Pulp Fiction? <laughs> I'm doing Pulp Fiction. Um. Yeah, she's 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 looking for her son, right? Um, yeah, she's looking for her son. Um, this is this is the part of the segment where I got confused because I wasn't paying attention the first time I was watching with it. So I confl- yeah. I I I conflated her with being part of the family of the girl, ch- um, um, uh, that ch- uh, Charles liked. Um, right. So yeah. yeah. So I guess there's this girl named Joanna. Um. Yeah, Zebroff, Joanna Zebroff, who uh, Charles was fond of, and they kind of show them walking them. along the uh, the lake. Uh, yeah, it would have been fun to put in a little monster in the background, <laughs> off in the distance in the been. background. <laughs> oh man! Um, yeah, so he was staying with them or something for a little bit, or I I don't know, something? like because because the thing is, is he comes over right because he must he must have uh, been saying. Cause he come like there was some t- point where he was going to come he was came over, and he, you know he pushed the button on the the door, which uh-huh. um, uh, I I I don't think I've ever yet encountered in my life encountered a building that had that. Um, what? Yeah, I mean I know they exist. I know I mean obviously in big in your big cities they got those things right. I because I see it on the Seinfeld from time to time. Um, yeah, I mean, I, as a delivery person in Reno, very frequently had to interact with those types of intercoms where you have to dial the number to reach the person. I've never... But also here. I've never firsthand wow. experienced... Yeah. This is this is breaking news. <laughs> right. Um, Robbie's never had to use the intercom to, call, to get his friend to open the door. <laughs> I'm not making Dayton seem any more cosmopolitan, am I? Uh, Boy. Anyway. Well, I mean, nowadays, we would just text, right? We wouldn't use the intercom. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, everyone everyone texts. Right. Um, but right. They, they depict him like, you know, he pushes the button, and he's like, hey, it's, you know, uh, da-da-da, and, and like, they're like... 
on their end, they're like, oh, sorry, Charles. We got like this big family dinner that's going on. And she yeah. re- she recounts because like, you know, that his re- and it was the thing that stuck out to her. It was his reaction was, but it's Charles. And yeah, they they sort of depict him like after, you know, it's clear that they're not going to let him up. They they depict him with like just this devastated look on his face as he walks away. And I, I feel like it's very similar because because, you know, he he obviously had a level of expectation and to, he then discovered that like the reality is maybe not quite there yet. Uh, hmm. I feel I feel like that's pro- like him walking away into the darkness is like what I looked like in under uh, when I was in an undergrad um, after like, you know, a- after the first date and asking out for a second date and <laughs> getting getting the, the you know, the the proverbial door closed on you. I was like, oh, not it didn't it wasn't going as successful as i thought i guess <laughs> um yeah i mean that's rough yeah so uh charles is like the last place he's seen right is at this tiny tent town mm-hmm. which is a kind of rough campground where people go to like party and whatever yeah um he so that's the last place he's seen and we talked to uh gordy hap who helped him put up his uh, tent. There's another guy, Gino Bordan and a bunch of bunch of folks that remember him from the campground. You know, they partied with him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically what happens is uh, Charles disappears from the campground one day with none of his belongings. He left all of that at the campground. Eventually his mom shows up uh, to investigate and Denise, the mom talks to the, the manager and uh, discovers everything had been thrown away except for a couple of personal items, which uh, the manager gives to Denise. Um, making a long, very this the other thing is this segment was like painfully detailed, as if anything was gonna like <laughs> happen. Make us find Charles. <laughs> yeah. It was such a long segment. I don't know why. Um, there, then they find a body in a pond in Kelowna. And the uh, they the press and everything before before letting Denise know kind of run with it and sort of assume that it's this missing young man Charles, and so Denise is you know understandably devastated. But um, then uh, anyway, it wasn't him. It was some sixty-seven-year-old man, and Charles is a young man in his twenties, and um. I guess, I guess so. Denise still has some hope he might be out there. He had told some relatives, though. Charles had told some relatives he was going to disappear off the face of the earth, uh-huh. um, which he appears to have done. So, <laughs> mission uh, I guess accomplished. His latest, yeah. So, this was in 1989. And I guess as, as late as 1992, there were still some sightings of him hitchhiking around Canada, as there always are in these missing persons cases from Unsolved Mysteries. Um, so that's it. There you go. That is our episode. Uh, if you enjoyed this program and you want to give us money, go to Patreon where you can give us a $1 <laughs> amount to sustain Wrong. the pod. Just cutting right to it, aren't we? <laughs> hey, Charles, I'm sorry, but 
If he hasn't turned up by now, I, I mean, I don't mean to yeah. seem callous, but he's probably not going to. Um, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, at reenacted pod, Twitter, um, reenacted pod at Gmail, go to Facebook. Uh, I've been really, uh, as, as is often the case, I've been negligent about just posting neat stuff on the, that social media. I'll try to rectify that tonight. No, no, not tonight. I have to go into work. I'll rectify that sometime. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um and as, and as always, I want to, I want to give a shot. At, well, not as always, this is a very new thing actually. So not as always, uh, our uh, podcast collective, uh, bridge burner. Um, if you're into stuff like what we do that, you know, there's a lot of great podcasts about, uh, uh, reality TV show programs such as Vanderpump Rules, and then also so that show is called Vanderpump Robs. There's also um, one about the Bachelor, the Bachelor Masters is the name of that one. So if you're if you're into just gentle roasting of beloved te- television shows, I think you might find some other ones that you enjoy there. Uh, Robbie, would you like to do the thing? Join me next week for an all brand new show. Perhaps you may be able to help solve a mystery.